This thing starts to move to the edge of the rock. One step into the creek and stood right in like within 30 feet. My eyes started to water. My nose started to run like somebody had hit me with pepper spray. I realized how big this thing was. It was as wide as the damn plywood and it was a foot taller than the plywood was. So we're talking nine feet tall. This is the Cryptic Creatures Podcast. I am Brian, and with me as always is my co-host Todd. What's going on, buddy? I'm just here getting ready for our uh, next interview with our guest tonight. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Uh, we got Leo coming on uh, from Maine, talking about a couple encounters he had while on the Boy Scouts. Sounds like fun. Don't want to waste any more time of the listeners. Let's get this thing started. Let's get him on here and uh, see how good it is. All right, ready? Here we go. Leo, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys asking me to come on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Leo, you've had a couple um, Bigfoot encounters, is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And where did those happen? Uh, they both happened in the state of Maine. How old were you when you had your first encounter? Uh, the first one was really young, uh, 15 years old. Okay. Uh, se- second one was uh, at the age of 23. So why don't you talk about the first one and tell us what happened, what was going on, and what went down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to give you a little background on the trip that I was on, uh, I was on a seven-man um, excursion from high school. Uh, that that year I did, I excelled in my, my studies and was given the opportunity to go to Mount Katahdin and back to State Park. Uh, so, cool. and unfortunately, all this unfolds right at the base of the mountain. Um, we went down, uh, seven, you know, it's, it's probably about a seven or eight, eight hour ride. Probably took us eight, nine hours to get there. Uh, regular school van, you know, seven guys, six students, one teacher, excellent teacher, Mr. D, uh, from my, from the local high school here. Uh, unfortunately he's retired. Uh, and I, I don't even know if he's with us anymore, but it went, what a heck of a teacher. Anyway, to take on an undertaking like this, uh, was, you know, with a single teacher, it was unheard of so it was kind of an experiment anyway we were all given the opportunity to go and because we were so well behaved uh we were able to go and uh the uh i was asked particularly to take a 75 pound pack up the mountain and uh retrieve uh visuals uh with with a video camera vhs camera that i was given charge of by the school so you know, this being in mind, we had to do a little extra hiking and stuff like that at school and try and work on a little bit. Because uh, that's, that's if either you fellas been up any mountain, you know it's it's not easy going. Right. Uh, especially if you've never been up in a mountain. So we're, we're uh, I shan't bore you with the long ride. We get there and the, uh, the ranger comes down as it's a school trip, uh, an official trip. He comes down and greets us and shows us where we're supposed to go. Uh, Ranger's name was Brian. He was a stout fellow, probably six foot five, 
uh, had a full uniform on, green pants, smoking a bear hat, whole nine yards. Excellent, excellent guy. Uh, took real good care of us while we were there. So we're getting the lean twos down there. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the creek's name was. Fast Creek or Fast Running Creek, something like that. It was the main creek that, that comes down the front of the mountain. So we get the we get set up in one of these uh, lean twos, and uh, you know start having our trip. The first night we made a fire, kind of uh, made something quick for food, uh, like hot sandwiches and soup, and went to bed. Uh, the next couple of days were just you know fun filled days. We went up the mountain. I I was able to achieve my goal and uh, carry a seventy five pound pack up the mountain. Now. The only reason I was asked above all the other guys is because I had spent, at this point in time, had spent a lot of time with the Boy Scouts of America, um, hiking, training, camping. You know, if you, you guys have been in the Scouts, you know uh, what you what you have to go through, and they don't, they're not easy on you. They don't take it easy on you, you know. So uh, I was able to do this uh, through, you know, uh, uh, earning the abilities and showing. Not to mention, my dad was I was given a little bit more of a leash. Because my father said, "Hey, listen, he's he's got a he's got a uh, a goal he's got to achieve for the school. Can you just you know let him go and do what he's got to do, and don't don't try and harbor him too much. Don't try and don't let him go. He knows what he's doing." So I was given pretty pretty much free reign up the mountain. We get up to Pomona Peak, and it's a gorgeous day. God, you can see for a hundred miles. I I can't tell you how nice of a day we lucked out. Because I've heard horror stories about going on that mountain, but some people have been up there and it started snowing and they're in shorts and, and, and flip flops and you know just a nightmare situation. But we went up there, beautiful day. Um, coming down was kind of a uh, had an odd thing happen. I was about halfway down. the The rest of the crew uh, went up over the mountain, the Razor's Edge, and continued down around the back of the mountain. I, uh, because I had such a heavy load. And such a young fella, I was, you know, I, I went back down to drop, bring the camera down and, and secure it in the van. Like, uh, the, that was the plan, basically. I'm going down the mountain, and, you know, I'm hopping from boulder to boulder. Because, I mean, these things are big, and I'm a 15-year-old kid. Not really a big kid, but big enough to carry 75 pounds and jump around with it on my back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got about halfway down. And I jumped the last two rocks, and there's a plateau. My, my feet hit the plateau and I looked over and about 65 feet away was a, a mountain lion, a male mountain lion. And he was fat. Boy, I'll tell you, I, he must have just eaten. Because he turned around, took one look at me and kind of threw a little hiss and over the edge he went. He must have dropped 50 feet, hit, landed on his paws and took off. He was a half mile away before I got to the edge. Guys, I shit you not. I scared the hell out of me. Plus, you know, I'm carrying my, yeah. my, my survival knife and my gear, so I'm, I'm all right. If, you know, I've got bear spray on me and everything. So I come down the rest of the day. It takes me about another hour and a half to get down to the bottom. I check in at the ranger station like I was told to, and, and the ranger said, okay, you want me to walk down to, to your lead to? I said, no, 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 I'm fine. So I get down there. Um, I, you know, break out the gear. I, I kind of re-run, roll the film back to kind of, I'm seeing what we got. And uh, it's cool. You know, all the shots look good. They're nice and clear. So I put the camera away, go stick it in the van. Job done, right? So we're uh, uh, waiting for the guys. It's got to be 4.35 o'clock. They finally roll in. I mean, I'd probably hit the bottom of the mountain about 3.30. So they're about an hour and a half behind me, two hours maybe. And I just kind of sat around camp, got, got the food ready, and, you know, we were getting ready. To, I was, we had the cooler all set up, and I had the fire going, and 
when they got back, we just started cooking our dinners. Um, and we were supposed to take off the next day to go to the hotel. We were going to get, you know, clean up before we went home kind of thing. We swim mm-hmm. in the pool, sit in the jacuzzi kind of, you know. So uh, that afternoon, the guys, we all went off to uh, on a hike after food, came back. It got dark. We're all sitting by the fire. It got late. He says, all right, Mr. D says, wrap it up. We're going to go early tomorrow morning and go to the hotel. So we can all get showers, have a nice hot bath, you know, get, you know, get ourselves, get ready to go home. I said, all right. So we all crawl into bed. About three o'clock that morning, I got real thirsty. So I said, okay. Uh, I woke up and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get up and uh, go get myself some water. Now everybody was sleeping at this point. Nobody, nobody's, I didn't disturb anybody. Uh, and we had put a tarp over the front of the lean-to because it got cold that night. That was one of the things I remember clear. The other guys were freezing their butts off because they just brought blankets because they thought it was going to be warm. But I was, you know, the, the, Mr. D and I were prepped, and we both uh, uh, were, you know, decked out for the for the weather. We had long johns and everything. So and the other guys, they didn't. So they were cold. So they're kind of all huddled together. Except for me and Mr. D, we're all we're on the other side of the thing, and these the four guys, five guys, are sitting there, all huddled getting in there because they're cold. Mm-hmm. So I get up, I went down, grabbed my canteen. Being that I'd been in the Boy Scouts a long time, I inherited a lot of things, uh, including a World War II uh, straight from the Philippines uh, U.S. canteen for my grandfather. Uh, you guys know it's a metal cop, metal canteen, got a chain on the cap, cap so you don't lose a cap. Yep. So. Um, I take it out of the sheath. I drop the sheath on the ground. Cause you know, once that thing gets wet, it's never going to dry and it stinks. Cause you know, it was on your grandfather's hip through the whole war. So where I walk out in the, the Creek, uh, I think it's Ferguson Creek or fast running Creek or something, but this is like a good size Creek. I'm talking 45, 50 feet at its widest. And it was a bend right where our campsite was. And on the other side of the bend was this massive boulder. And I, you know, during the daytime, I had peeked out there and looked at it a few times. Never really walked down there to go and get, except to get water real quick. And somebody else got the water last time. I didn't. So I went down. I just filled up my canteen or bent down to the rock. And it's cold. Canteen's got a little bit of a, a you know, like a mist on it, a little, a little dampness. Slips out of my hand. So I got the cap in my fingers. And it falls down and goes, clang, empty canteen in the middle of, of the night up there. I mean, with all the black bears and all the nasties, the, the, I, I, that's all I think of. I'm going to be barefoot here. So I reach down and I dunk the canteen, just kind of shut it up and, and, and submerge it in the water and it starts to fill up. And so I hear the thing hits the rock and I look across at the big boulder and I'm looking at it and at the top, I see this little brown, what seems to me at the time to be a beaver. Now it's dark. The moonlight's out there. You can see it's pretty good. I mean, you know what? You guys know what it's like when you're in the woods. And it's it's clear as night. There's not a cloud in the sky. Full moon. You don't even need a flashlight. You know, you, you can really see stuff out there. But I see movement mm-hmm. and I'm on the top of the rock. And it looks like something, you know, maybe 16, 18 inches tall. So, oh, wow, it's a little, how's a little thing beater doing up there on a rock? Just as this thing starts to move to the edge of the rock, uh, uh, this big black, I, I couldn't see it totally until it, got, it cleared the rock because it was in the shadow. But it step, took one step into the creek and stood right in like within 30 feet. And it was nine foot tall. Absolutely. I mean, 
when they came out from behind the rock, my eyes started to water. My nose started to run like somebody had hit me with pepper spray, you know, and, and I didn't really know how tall it was till I was, I got older and I started, I became a carpenter. And the first time I picked up a sheet of plywood, I realized how big this thing was. It was as wide as the damn plywood and it was a foot taller than the plywood was. So we're talking nine feet tall. Don't know how thick it was. Never saw that, that detail. Cause he flipped around. He was there. Maybe he, he gave a little grumble, gave me a real good sniff and then made a noise. Like I, like he was disgusted with me that just like this noise, like he's disgusted with me. He turns around, takes about one or two half steps out of the Creek, pops his foot on the boulder, grabs a, a, a you know, like a three or four inch, uh, whatever it was, pine tree, and pulls him up, self up out of the creek. Pots the ways like a D9 bulldozer and starts walking through the brush. And you can, you know, you can, you can hear the impact tremors going, and you can hear him walking away. He's 60, 80, 100 feet. I can still hear his feet hitting the ground. So we're talking 800, 900 pounds, uh, black fur, absolutely male. Uh, and I always say that because one of his testicles was sticking in the moonlight. Um, <laughs> you didn't see much more than that. You know, he was kind of, everything else was matted and disgusting. And, you know, you could just tell he had been, he scarred, you know. And I really didn't want to look up, but I looked up at his face once before I turned around just to, because I, I just got the feeling if I eyeballed this thing, it was going to kill me. So I kind of just kind of raised my brow and looked through my, my eyebrow at him real close. And all I could see was a flat face with a giant set of lips. And there was no like hair around his mouth and this giant wide ass gorilla nose. And when he opened his mouth, his teeth were so white. They like almost glowed in the moonlight. And he had these big ass fangs. I mean, the fangs, my God. But I can, the closest thing I can relate to the, to, to the, the look of this thing was a silverback gorilla. And his hands, there was no hunch. There was no, his arms draped down below his knees. They were extra long. Um, and he didn't, like, I didn't, couldn't see really how he walked. Because once he disappeared into the brush, it was all over. I mean, all there was here shit breaking, stuff breaking, excuse me. and. Uh, that was it. And so as I go over this in my mind, a few questions pop up. Okay. Now I've, I've seen the boogeyman. I'm mad at my parents. I'm, I'm bullshit at my mother and father because they told me there was no such thing as a boogeyman. And there is. Uh, unfortunately, um, I had to see it at 15 years old. Uh, kind of set my life off in some weird directions after that because you don't know what to do. Uh, and you, as a 15 year old, you're not going to tell anybody you saw something like that because they'll put you in the loony bin. So anyway, um, like I said, uh, going over that, the, the, that night in my mind, um, a few questions came up. What, what was he doing there? Uh, why was he so close to the lean twos? Why am I still alive? When I've heard over oh, since, you know, I, I became a, a big footer. 
and was adopted into the family unbeknownst <laughs> to my, if I had had a choice, I would have, I would have said, no, I'm all set. Thanks. Uh, leave it at the door. You know, I, I wouldn't have chosen that, that experience, but as much as I wanted to run, I didn't. And to contrast, the second encounter was ah, almost like a fantasy, but not. You know what I'm saying? It was it was scary as hell. But just the fact that you know that she was there and so close. I mean, I hear it again, 25, 30 feet away comes through the brush and a blueberry patch and I'm sitting there with my rifle across my legs and uh, she walks out and she took three steps and she stood there and looked at me and I looked up and I saw her big brown eyes and guys when I tell you this woman looked like she was going out on a Saturday night date there was no smell there was no not even the animal smell not even like when you get near a dog that's been in the rain you smell that dog I don't care how good you wash them. Dog's going to smell like a dog. This thing didn't even smell. And the hair shined like it was just washed, like, like, like it just come out of the, the, the hairdressers. You know, like your wife, you come, she come over to you. Look, the hair's shiny. It's beautiful. You know, it's got bounce and stuff. This is like, like she had spent hours combing her hair. And then with all this, she just looked at me and she rolled her arm out her right arm, and as she rolled her arm out, two little legs popped out from her hand. And then two little hands, and then a face came away from her arm and looked at me. And it went right back in, like, it was like this little baby. And it was so tiny in her hand. I mean, the only thing I can relate to it is, is the fact that uh, my son, when my son was born, um, if you guys have kids, Remember when you carry your children little tiny, little tiny toes, oh. little tiny fingers, little tiny eyes, little tiny ears, little yeah. tiny butt. Mm -hmm. This was all, I mean, she was just, and it, when he grabbed back onto her, it was almost like he disappeared. You couldn't see him. I mean, you could see his butt and stuff in her hand, but she rolled her hand back on, down to her hip, like to protect him. And she turned away with him on the other side and she started and she didn't make another sound. She didn't look at me. She didn't gesture towards me. She just turned around real slow and took two steps out of the blueberry patch. And she was gone. She didn't make sound one when she hit the other side of the bushes. It was almost like she disappeared. I didn't hear footsteps. I didn't hear the, the impact trip. Nothing. She just went through the bushes. And I mean, you could see her walking. You could see her. It wasn't like she disappeared visually. But there was no sound. Like she was silent. Like like you like a like a like a Navy SEAL. That quiet. You know, kill you quiet. Right. And uh so and here and again that to set that up, that was on a uh, a family hunting trip. I was twenty three years old. Um we were my father in law put my me and my two brother in laws out in the four corners, hoping that a deer, you know, would, would come through on, on his property and then uh, he'd be able to flush it back and forth between the hunters. But we were told not to move until, you know, a certain time. And then we were all told to come home. Uh, but we all had walkie-talkies and stuff on us. We literally could have turned them on and called in and found out what was going on. She must have scared everything away. 
they must have known she was there because it was nothing. We, we saw two dozen deer walk through my father-in-law's property the day before. And we, we could have had them and nobody had a gun. We had licenses. It was all legal. The whole nine yards. We went up there hunting. But at this point in time, we didn't know had a weapon on us. You know, they had one of us had a pistol on us and we were going to shoot a deer with a pistol. That's just not right. You know, then you have to chase it halfway across the mountain. The poor thing suffering. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, she, she came out of the bushes, uh, about seven fifteen in the morning. There was, it was a very, very, really nice day, probably 50, 55 degrees. Um, just the perfect day for hunting. There was no wind, nothing. And I was just sitting on this big giant old growth stump that I had chosen. You know, that's where my spot is. So I'm going to sit inside there. And we had a bear come up behind me. You have to go around the tree to get me. You know what I mean? So there was uh, uh, a tree to my right that was rather large. So it kind of blocked my view of where she came from. She kind of snuck up on me. And I don't know what it was, but she knew I wasn't going to hurt her. She was cognitive of the fact that I had a gun in my, hand, my lap. And she, she knew that I wasn't going to hurt her. Just by the look on her face. And I mean, I within those two encounters, I, I and the years of research and theory that I've put into this, I've developed a, a few methods. Um, in order to help people that ha are having habituation problems. Um, uh, we've uh, made a few uh, recommendations to people. Uh, as a matter of fact, one sheriff's department, where we recommended something to the sheriff's department. And as far as we know, it worked. We didn't never got a word back on it. But um, there are uh, methods that I believe that work very well in deterring uh, Sasquatch from coming onto property they're not wanted on. And they're, they, they're not going to hurt them. It's it's their non-lethal, non-violent, no sprays, no nothing. Um, it's just using their own uh, logistics against them. They, uh, what wh what would you guys think that a Bigfoot would be afraid of? Just off the top of your heads. Nothing. <laughs> Another Bigfoot? Yeah, nothing. Uh, okay. What if I told you they're absolutely deathly afraid of trains? I'd believe that. Yeah. No. So what you do is, is if you get yourself um, one of those trap cameras, okay, and you get the battery wire out of it, and you run the wire over to a set of train horns, and you leave the train horns above. So you run the wire up the backside of the tree, you leave the, the camera at the bottom, um, and when they walk across and they break that beam, obviously you guys know what happens. The train horn goes off. So two right. things happen. Number one, they think they might, they, they get the notion there's a train around you know that at that point in time, something has come through at eight foot and it's coming you know, towards your house. So you also get a warning sign when these things are coming. And you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they might destroy them. They might run away because they don't know. It just, it, you know, the disorients them the first time. But I guarantee you, one or two times of having that happen and you move it around so it goes off in different places, they're never coming back. Leo, back to your encounters, uh, your first one. Do you think making that noise with the canteen when you dropped it, do you think that's what attracted that Bigfoot to come see what was going on? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, it was dead quiet. There wasn't even a breeze. I mean, it, it echoed. You know what I mean? It echoed up the canyon because there was a little canyon there. The second he stepped around the rock, I got hit with this. With the wind hit me in the face. And I, I, I mean, literally, 
my nose and my eyes were running. They were they were burning so bad. I mean, I I, I was felt vomitous at one point in time. And you know I me, mean, I'm a 15 year old kid. You know, smoke cigarettes, pretty tough guy. You know what I mean? Or I thought thought you know at the time I thought I was a tough guy, and I was pretty resilient as a child. You know, I I, I had a real pretty strong stomach, and this this was like drinking half a bottle of Jim Beam in 15 minutes and spending the rest of your night in the, in the, on the toilet with your face in the toilet. You guys, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad, I was just so sick. So yeah. sick. Can you describe the smell at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. God. Uh, it wasn't, it's not just one smell. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's a pile of smell. You get, you get dead animals, you get feces, you get urine, you get body odor, breath, um, I mean, there's some, and when he opens his mouth, it's even worse, even 30 feet away, the breath on that thing, my, the, my nose hairs were burning. I mean, my eyes, well, when I got back up the top of the hill, I remember having a cigarette in my mouth and I grabbed the cigarette out of my mouth with my, with the very first two fingers on my right hand and with my palms wiped my nose and my mouth up and just threw it on the ground. Because and you know, like blue snot out, did snot rockets for like five minutes after that, trying to get rid of the smell, and you can't. It was on my clothes. If I had known that there was evidence on my clothes that day, I wouldn't have burned them. But I took the shorts and the t-shirt that I had that, and I threw them in the fire because they stunk so bad. Wow. I mean, there was literally the smell that gets on you when you're that close. You talked about his nose being gorilla-like. Can you explain yes. that a little bit more? Because the the encounters that I've heard, they say they're more human nose, uh, more like a boxer's nose. But what did you see with this creature's nose? Was it pushed back like a gorilla's nose is with the nostrils being Absolutely, absolutely. It was pushed back and split. But wasn't so – there wasn't uh, – I've, I've been, I made a primatology a second hobby. Um, I, my gorilla etiquette is, is that of a primatologist that's been around these things for five years. I've watched more footage and spent more time learning about gorillas because I believe what I saw was primate. Um, and like I said, the nose was split, two cavities, double round, but the pronounced, there wasn't a snout. This was a face. This was a mouth, like almost human mouth, but the teeth were huge. And they were, they, they were absolutely like, they could brush his teeth. The teeth were so white you could see in the night, night the, the moonlight when he opened his mouth. You know, they were just white, white, white. Right. And it's like, but the, the face itself was so primate. And we've, we've, in the Bigfoot community, we all have our, our theories, pardon me, of how many species there are. And I've heard up to seven species. But right now, my uh, I, I, as a rock solid number, I believe there's three. I believe there's canine, humanoid, and primate. And I think I saw the primate. Okay. That's interesting. You say canine as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can't you can't really denounce or 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 dismiss uh, 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 evidence, even when people are they're upset and. You know, they probably didn't see a dog, man. They probably saw a Bigfoot and it just scared the hell out of them. Maybe, maybe the Bigfoot was deformed. Maybe it got in a fight with a bear or another Bigfoot and it bit its face and it looks deformed and it's just going to walk around like that. Well, maybe they did see a dog, man. Maybe they did see, because 
how many how we we got werewolves, you know, uh, in Transylvania, and all the you know when we were growing up, all the monster stories, right. and then when we got into this field, we started to hear about dogmen. Now, how how can you, so many people when they ask, well, when you look at the face, what what did it look like? Oh, it looked like a dog. It looked like a wolf. You did say he had fangs as well, you noticed. Pretty predominant fangs, yes, too. Yes, yes, he had pronounced two on the corners. Um, and if you look at any, any silverback, any, any mountain gorilla anyway, I know the growlers, gorillas, and, and the uh, lowland gorillas, their fangs are not as pronounced. But they're more bamboo eaters than they are, like, um, mountain gorillas, they eat more roughage, more green. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, you know, they ball it up and they they gnaw on it. So they're, they're, I think they have to have a little bit sharper teeth than the lowland gorillas or the growlers, you know. Um, but like I said, they were very pronounced, not to the point where they would stick out of his mouth. When he closed his mouth, you couldn't see any teeth at all. There's just some certain mm-hmm. things I've been I'll put over my mind over and over again trying to figure it out. And uh, there was one thing that I did remember. He was missing a finger on his left hand. Interesting. Like he had really? five fingers or four fingers, and like the pinky got bit off. It looked like a stubble there. When he turned around, he swung, and the arm swung, and he got like, it, when, when something big like that turns, it, it seems like it gets closer to you. And he took a step, and he turned around, he balanced himself, he seemed to back around, and took one, two steps out, and just before he left, he his his hand dragged behind him, and I looked, and the pinky finger was gone. He he looked like he had spots where his fur was missing, his hair was missing, you know, like he had fought his shoulder. Um, and the backside, I mean, there's so much hair there, you couldn't even see the ass crack. But the muscles, his leg muscles, they're so bulky. Like, remember Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was lifting? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Remember how his legs, his they, this guy had muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. Same thing with the Bigfoot. So muscular that I, I just, I, I would never even attempt to try and fight something like this. It, it, hmm. You just don't have any choice but to run. Um, but we all know what happens if you run from a Bigfoot. You're going to end up food. Or you're going to end up Jurassic. Because they think you're trying to hurt. Yeah, exactly. So it's way better, you know, when we instruct somebody to, on, on how to uh, use their gorilla etiquette, we always tell them, if Bigfoot's going to do what they call a bluff charge, he's going to come up, he's going to hit a set of brushes, or he's going to hit a set of trees, he's going to knock the tree around, he's going to make a lot of noise, and he's going to retreat, very much like a silverback does. And I've heard this pattern so many times. Some are a little bit more aggressive than others. Some throw rocks, some will, you know, tree knock, some they'll whoop, and they'll try and manipulate that way. They'll try and drive you back that way. But all of us know the reason why they're doing it. Number one, they're territorial. Number two, they got family back there somewhere. And you're too close. And they want you gone. Just go away, and I'm not going to kill you, but you're going to go away. After this incident happened, did you tell anybody about it? No. No, no, I didn't start to discuss this until uh, about 12 years ago. 
10, 10, 11, I mean, same 11 years ago. My father passed away about, about 10 years ago and he was really sick. And uh, I started telling my dad, you know, what had happened because he was a, you know, he's a, was the inspiration if, uh, from the camping. He was the boy, he was the drive for the Boy Scouts. And um, he was like, uh, he, my, he was my best friend. You know, my dad was like the best friend I ever had besides my wife. Uh, who have God bless her. I've been married to, we've been married for almost uh, together for almost 34 years, 35 years. We're married 31. Um, and, uh, she's been my best friend in the world. Let's talk about your second encounter. Sure. How tall do you think the female Bigfoot was? She was a good eight foot, eight and a half foot plus. And I, I'm, I'm going to very, very well say she's probably 650 pounds. And wow. what about her face? Can you describe that? Uh, she had the same kind of no, uh, a primate configuration in her nose, but her fur was orange, like an orangutan's fur, like orange, mm-hmm. orange, like a male orangutan when he's in the east, when he's in the heat. You know, you, you guys have seen that, right? You know how orange they get. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, somehow they blended in the jungle, orange. She did the same thing. She was orange. Uh, her hair was very, very long like longer than the, the male that I saw. Uh, it hung off of her about a foot on both sides, her arms, when she lifted her arms up. There was very, very long hair on her legs. Um, it wasn't like, and it's funny because like, it's almost like they trim their hair around their feet because their hair doesn't like drag around their feet. They don't like drag their hair. You don't see knots all around her. She was like combed. Like like somebody like a curry comb on a horse, she like somebody spent hours brushing her, and because every her back of her head, the, everything was shiny and like the sun was coming through the trees. It was like seven, you know, it's, at this point in time, seven fifteen, seven twenty, excuse me, and the sun's coming through the trees here, and it's just glistening off of her fur. The only the closest thing I can say is if you took um, a female orangutan. Stretched her neck up a little bit because she did have a little bit of a neck as the male doesn't. She did have a little, about two inches of a neck where her her head turned before she moved. And if you watch a, a, an orangutan, um, their head, to, they're one of the only primates that turns their head beside, well, chimps turn their head, but chimps generally turn their body when they turn. Our orangutans will turn their head both ways and then they'll move. Um, but the, she moved more like an orangutan and looked as the such with, with a very dark black face, black skin, maybe not even black, maybe like a dark, dark brown skin on her face. And there was no mustache in underneath her, her nose. And her nose broke, you know, two pieces, and it was round at the bottom. Very, very gorillish, but with an orangutan. I mean, if you guys had, if I had to try and, and I hate to say this, um, if you look at the the uh, instances that they use or the or the, the the examples they make of Gigantopithecus, um, if you see that face, uh, with the exception of a very short hair and the less conical, uh, Giganto had the less conical head. She had the conical uh, top, you know, the conical head top and very, very thick hair on her face, around her hair, you know, like like a woman. I mean, there was no doubt she was a woman. You could see breasts and everything. It wasn't like 
but you couldn't see anything else because all the fur was, you know, you don't see the butt crack and you see the shape of the butt, but you don't really see the, the, you know, the split, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's same in the front. You're not going to, you don't really see any of the characteristics of, of a female parts. Um, you just see breasts, which, I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that Patty had breasts because mm-hmm. this one did too. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the 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 encounter was very docile. I felt no threat whatsoever. Not not anything. I didn't like the with the male. I I felt threatened. I felt like I could get eaten here, and I'm never going to see my parents again. This girl, she just wanted. She just sashayed through like a like a woman. I mean, I can't. You know, you know, how women move, guys. Yeah. They just they float across the floor, and they, you know, you just so. Uh, entranced looking at her fur and the size and just the fact that she was there was like a big what kind of not again what again you know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself this can't happen again so I'm like what what's what is it about me and incidentally guys after I had all this stuff happen to me all sorts of weird animal stuff happened afterwards weird like Horses would come to me when I called them. And once, you know, I've been working with these animals, but they, they didn't come to anybody else. Um, dogs. It's, uh, it's a weird thing. I don't know how you guys feel about walking through dark woods, but as long as I have a flashlight and, a, you know, something to push something away, I, I could care less. Of, you know, I, I know what's in there. Um, but there's a lot of people that just won't, they won't walk around in the woods at night. They just won't. <laughs> He's like, hey, you want to go for a walk? No, no, I'm not going in there. All right, I'll see you later. And I take off with a flashlight and a stick. And they don't look normal. They look like some sort of a misfit almost. Because they don't look like anything that we're normal, you know, we're used to seeing. It. Right. What's your opinion about Bigfoot? What do you think it is? Well, I got to be honest with you. I've heard a lot of stories about things uh, that Bigfoot's done that are mystical. We hear about them shimmering. We hear about them disappearing in front of people's face, a glimmer, shimmer, call it what you will, um, cloaking. Uh, And then you have the ominous uh, Skinwalker Ranch sightings. You know what I mean? That stuff out there. Then Now you're dabbling in the paranormal. That There's nobody that understands that except for the Navajos that they understand, they know what's going on. But um, as far as Bigfoot goes, I think Bigfoot's a natural creature. And I think because there are so many, there's so much variation like humans. We have people that have ESP. We have people that, that you know, that can move things to their mind and stand cold temperatures, hot, you know, they're just, just all sorts of humans. It takes all kinds to make up the human race. Just like that, I think Bigfoot has the same makeup, um, the same uh, uh, chances of if you walk into the woods and you do have a Bigfoot encounter, which is going to be rare, very rare. If you do, the chances of you meeting a Bigfoot that's, that, that is either habituated to humans, number one, tolerates humans, number two, and not going to eat you is a 50-50 shot. Um, that you get a family Bigfoot or a family oriented Bigfoot, just trying to protect his family. doesn't want to hurt anybody, but he's going to drive you away just to be key. He feels better when you're further away. Paranormal. 
prove it to me. Show me something. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody that they're wrong because number one, I wasn't there. And any good researcher knows you don't tell somebody what they saw. You let them tell you right. what they saw. And then, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we have to go with the folks that are just trying to get attention. And they don't yet quite know the kind of attention they're going to draw with this kind of bullshit that they were spewing. Pardon my French again. Um, but for lack of a better term, when you have somebody, because I've had plenty of people call me up and, and say, hey, Leo, listen, I got this problem. And they start to tell me about the problem. And they can't tell you, you know, how long it's been going on or, or, or have you actually ever seen anything? And no, I haven't really ever seen anything, but I hear noises all the time. And I'm like, so why are you on the phone with me trying to get my help, elicit my help for, you didn't see anything. So you don't even know what you're looking at. So you got to go back and you got to get some sort of photographic evidence, get your video camera out there, get a game camera, go stick it on the corner of your property. Try and catch some images of what's bothering your cattle. I bet you anything it's a mountain lion or a bear or, mm-hmm. or maybe some, some wolves. I said, you've got to rule out the things that are there first before you can just jump to the conclusion and say, hey, it was a big one. Right. So, right. Well, Leo, those were amazing encounters, and we really appreciate you coming on and talking yeah, to us. Yeah, no kidding. I really enjoy talking about it. and I, 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 I generally end uh, every part. Po- I've only done one of the podcasts. Or I've had a couple of discussions on it. Um, I just, uh, would say that, uh, when people are going to do, uh, go out big footing and, you know, uh, participate in this, um, just remember, it's not a sport. These things are out there and they mean business. And if you're going to go out there, don't go out there by yourselves, bring, bring a couple of people with you, bring, you know, camera equipment, bring bear spray, Bring an air horn for from a boat that'll disorient them long enough so you can get away. If you got a problem, you'll blow the air horn in his face. Same with a bear or anything like that, you know. Right. But carry stuff that you can defend yourself with, because these things they mean business. Are you still getting out there and in the woods? And yes, as a matter of fact, we're we're going to put together a Squatchachusetts uh, Facebook group outing uh, coming up in a couple of, of weeks here. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Um, we're going to be going to the uh, Miles Standish Reservation in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and we're going to do our first sweep of that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been researching it back and forth for about three years now, and I have several people that tell me that they've had actual sightings um, within the park, and I have spent a good amount of time in my youth there as a Boy Scout. Uh, Camp Squanto is in that park, uh, so... You know, I know it very well from hiking and so forth and so on. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting together a plan where we're going to go and check things out and see if we can't pick up some sort of trace. All right. Cool. That sounds cool. Let uh, Keep us posted. Let us know what's happening. 
I will. Yeah, we're. Uh, if you guys don't mind, I give a shout out to the uh, to, to a couple of other groups, uh, Squatch Watchers, um, and uh, uh, the East Coast Cryptozoological Research Group, which is my personal group. Um, we, I also have one eight hundred Bigfoot as a personal research group on Facebook as well. A couple of other groups they have big big numbers, but we're we're working on it, and uh, we have people that are writing books. Uh, uh, oh, J.W. Cool. Wells is coming with a book uh, coming out this, uh, I believe, this summer. Uh, so we're helping him with images on that one. Um, and uh, Les Stroud is as as a as, is a member of uh, Squatch Watchers, and I'm also friends with fa- Facebook friends with Les too. Okay, uh, he's an excellent Ooh, excellent survivalist. Cool. Yeah. Um, we used to, as a matter of fact, I I, I know uh, I used to be friends with uh, Dr. John Bindernagel. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, I miss him. <laughs> I miss him. He was one of the greatest uh, 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 primatologists in the field pushing the Bigfoot topic. Uh, along with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, he's also another uh, gentleman who's who's been very supportive to the Bigfoot community. But Dr. John Bindernagel, he was out there on the ground with the groups doing the work. And uh, I can't say enough good things about him. He's a great man. Leo, thanks for coming on and, and telling your stories and talking to us tonight. Yeah, man, those were great. Those were great encounters. I appreciate you letting me share, gentlemen. And should anybody have any questions, please feel free to come to the uh, the groups that I mentioned to, to seek help. Or if you're sure. if you have uh, you know you have uh, listeners that have, may have habituation problems, we can also help with that. All right. All right. Awesome. All right. You take care, Leo. We'll talk to you later. Then. Yeah. Thanks again, Leo. Super. Thank you. Can you imagine being that close? No. Out in the middle of nowhere. And for that guy to have two encounters like that, uh, one when he was that young and then not too much older, and to see a male and a female, just crazy. Yeah, that was a trip. That was, that was a wild one for sure. Who knows, man? Who knows? What are these guys, what are these people seeing out there, dude? What, what, what is going I don't know, on? But we need to get out there and uh, find out. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Thank you all. We wouldn't be here without you had an encounter and would love to come on and tell your story please email us at info at cryptocreatures.co we're on facebook instagram twitter youtube everywhere so get in touch with us let us know what's going on out there everyone yeah. and we appreciate it ryan thanks again man always fun man all right you take care until next time yep see you